Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. And a very warm welcome to you. If we need a warm welcome on a chilly day like this, blustery day. It's uh, really changed the temperature, especially here in the studio. It's a little bit frigid, but we'll warm that all up, as I'm sure you will do too when you get involved in the conversation, share your thoughts, your insights. I mean, that's what happens on Thursday afternoons. We talk, we talk out of the box, we think fresh about what's going on in the world, what's going on in Judaism or Judaism's perspective on the world. That's what we're here to do today. I'm glad you could be with me and glad you could be part of the show. Looking very forward to hearing your comments and insights throughout the course of the next 50 minutes on 34519 if you'd like to SMS. Otherwise, you can always WhatsApp 0618951019. You can call the studio on 0101403020. You can tweet at FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Now, those of you who know me, and the, the truth of the matter is, those people who are part of the show, you'll know that one thing that plays quite a big role in this show is social media. There's always a lot of the conversation that we have happens on social media. And right now, social media is very much in the spotlight with the, the whole Facebook scandal um, <clears throat> with the question about compromising people's personal information on Facebook. What's it? 87 million people's accounts. Can you imagine something like that? 87 million people. It's a lot of people, right? <laughs> so 87 million users had their private information shared. Apparently, that's the allegation. And that had to do with political marketing and the Trump campaign and all kinds of other things that are coming out into the public eye right now. So it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating because in such a short period of time, a particular element of our lives became so immersive and obsessive and central. And I don't know if people necessarily stopped to think about what the repercussions might be. You know, things happen, you get involved. And then a couple of years down the line, once we were all hooked up with our Facebook and Twitter accounts, once we all had our Google Maps and Waze and Siri and all the other wonderful things that technology has offered us, then only a few years down the line, people started to ask questions like, hang on a second, what are they doing with all this information that they're collecting on you? Because here you are reporting basically everything that's going on in your life once upon a time. If people wanted to know what was going on in your life, they would have probably had to have gotten some kind of court order. And then they would have had to do research and perhaps sent somebody after you to track your movements. Today, what a pleasure. You're doing it yourself. You're telling everybody where you are, what you're doing there, how often you go there, what you eat when you're there, who you hang out with, and so on and so forth. And then we turn around and cry foul when our privacy is compromised. And it just makes me wonder, and that's what I'd like to talk about today, about this concept called privacy. Because... There are many perspectives and many angles that we could explore now that there's a lot of conversation around privacy and around the compromising of people's privacy. So what would Judaism say about it? 
that's uh, there's a whole legal side to this which we could explore. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make it heavy and legal. I do intend to do that at some point as a proper shiur. Um, where we can explore just the legalities of it from a Jewish perspective. But I'm looking more now from a moral perspective and I suppose also from a personal responsibility perspective. So in other words, there are two things that come to my mind, and that is, number one, is it a moral imperative to protect other people's privacy? So that's one question. Here you've got a company that apparently was using Facebook statistics to share information that may have had an impact on a political campaign. So is that morally wrong? Not legally wrong. Let's leave the legalities out for now. But morally, do you think that there's a moral responsibility? You and I, do we have a moral responsibility to protect other people's privacy. So that's one angle that I'd like to explore. And don't just throw yes or no answers. I know that this audience is is much more <laughs> sophisticated than that. So so let's motivate. Let's motivate a reason why you would think that it is immoral to breach somebody else's confidentiality or somebody else's privacy. And vice versa, if you think that it's acceptable, why? On what basis? And I'm talking specifically from a Torah perspective, from a Jewish perspective. So that's one angle on the discussion. The other angle is, what about your personal responsibility to protect your own privacy? So take this whole social media thing as an example. We, we share things in the public eye, probably oblivious to just how many people could see those things without thinking, without batting an eyelid. There we are. As something happens, we take the picture, we upload it and share it with the general public. And even if you have your privacy settings, for example, on your social media set to only friends, well, are those people really your friends? So the question is, at which point do you have to take responsibility for your own privacy? And then, you know, can you turn around and say, you, the great organization, the great app, the great company, you've compromised my privacy. Can you really say that if you've shared those things in a public forum? So I think they're, they're quite interesting issues that arise out of this conversation uh, because we follow the media. The media says, look what happened over here. Terrible thing. They shared your private information with people who were going to run for office politically and that's not okay well i don't know is it okay is it not okay <laughs> it might not be that simple especially considering that we've compromised ourselves so from a from a philosophical point of view from a jewish point of view if a person compromises themselves do they lose their protection do they lose their immunity does that then give the next person for example the right to share that information further it's such an interesting conversation. Like I say, to explore the legality of it, the halachic legality of it, I think is going to be beyond the conversation that we can have here today. But I do think that it, it just should make us a little bit more conscious of the idea of privacy. Do you think, do you think in today's world that privacy has been shattered? Do you think that we no longer have a, the type of privacy that previous generations used to have be the sensitivity towards the need for privacy that previous generations used to have and then my question is 
Is that a good thing or a bad thing? So there's so many layers and so many angles that we could explore over here that I, I think this conversation could continue for quite a long time beyond what we have time for on the show today. So let's just tackle one or two of the issues. I'd love to hear your feedback on whether you think that it's a moral imperative to protect somebody else's privacy, whether you think that it's a moral responsibility that you have to protect your own privacy. And I'm also curious to hear if you feel that the sense of privacy or the value of confidentiality has possibly been eroded in recent times. And it's quite recent times, less than 20 years, because many of us will remember a time not so long ago when we had a tremendous sense of privacy, when we had a tremendous sense of confidentiality, where we would never in a million years have thought of sharing some of our personal things with others, certainly not with strangers, and certainly certainly not in the way that we do so today. So those are the things I'd like to discuss, bandy about, explore, dissect in the course of today's show, and I, I really would love to hear your input on it. So if you'd like to SMS 34519 to WhatsApp, use 061-895-1019, or to tweet, it's at Rabashish. Or at Chai FM. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, uh, I suppose some people are afraid to comment because maybe their comments will no longer be private. <laughs> Which I suppose is exactly one of the concerns that people generally have in today's world. Anything that you do, I mean, you could, you could hang out with somebody and completely unbeknownst to you and that might be part of the conversation uh, completely unbeknownst to you they might then take a picture of you share something that you've said and voila before you know it it's out there in the public and other people are aware of it what kind of responsibilities do we have now i'm going to just use an example personally i am absolutely averse to sharing photos of my children on social media I don't know exactly who sees what. I don't know exactly who all those people who call themselves my friends really are. You know, there's some kind of a, an awareness, but I don't personally use social media really so much to tell the story of my family life. I use it more to tell the story of my rabbinic life. So then I'm happy to put out into the public. But what happens if somebody else takes a picture of my child so I never post pictures of my children on Facebook or whatever, and somebody else takes a picture of my child and they post it online. So what about that? Is that is that acceptable? So that's why I ask the question, is there a moral imperative for privacy? Is it something that we should be conscious of? Is it something that the Torah highlights or considers a value, privacy? Or is it just what it is? You know, if, if people happen to know what's going on in your life, well, then they happen to know what's going on in your life. And that's just tough. There's nothing really that you can do to protect yourself. Unless it's something which happens completely off the grid and in the darkest of rooms, then everybody is, I suppose, fair game and people can know what's happening. It reminds me a little bit of the statement in the Talmud where Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was one of the greatest sages of the Talmudic era, turns to his students just before he passes away and he says, I wish for you that you should be as concerned of fear of heaven 
as you are concerned for fear of the next person. And then he goes on to say, he says, that's how people are. They say, please let nobody see me. But you don't realize there's an eye that always sees. So I suppose that that attitude where a person says, please let no one see me, that's an attitude which effectively says, I feel naturally that I need or deserve to have privacy. Just because I feel that way doesn't necessarily mean it is that way. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. I mean, the many things that people feel that they should have, which don't necessarily guarantee that, that is actually what they should have. So, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Uh, Sean on Twitter says, did privacy ever exist in the beginning? Hmm, that's an interesting one. Did It's also an interesting way of saying it. But anyway, did privacy ever exist? Well, that's an interesting question because I kind of feel like not very long ago, less than 20 years ago, it did exist, at least to a greater extent than it exists today. So maybe that's just the Jewish way of doing things. You know, when somebody asks a question, you respond by yourself asking a question. Maybe that's what Sean is doing. Um, I'd like to know a little bit more, if you're listening, about why you think possibly that privacy did not used to exist. Why? What would, what, what would the motivation for that be? I mean, is it, are you telling me that a hundred years ago people knew what was going on in other people's lives? Maybe a very close circle of people. Maybe if you shared things. I mean, how? How would they have known? How possibly would people have known the private details of another person's life a hundred years ago, 50 years ago? How? How would it have been done? I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't actually agree with that. The suggestion that there was, uh, how did he say it? Was there ever privacy? Did privacy ever exist? Yes, I, I really think that it did. I do. And um, I think that it's changed. And the world has changed. Maybe you don't agree necessarily. Uh, something up with the SMS and WhatsApp line at the moment. So just uh, hold off on, well, don't hold off, but just be patient if I don't get back to your SMSs or WhatsApps because it's uh, screen's gone blank. But you can still tweet. That works. So you can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. question I'm asking is, is there an imperative, a moral imperative for privacy? Philip on Twitter says, yes, because a violation of privacy can cause shame and embarrassment and even put assets at risk. I think it's quite a succinct response that covers a number of different things. So first of all, a violation of privacy can cause shame and embarrassment. Now, we know that there is an obligation within the Torah that you dare not embarrass another person. In fact, so severe is it that the Talmud goes to the point of saying that if you do embarrass somebody else publicly, you lose your share in the world to come. That's a pretty bold statement to make. In fact, we're told that to shame somebody is akin to murder. That's how the Talmud says it. So if sharing private information is going to embarrass somebody, then, yes, I think Philip makes a very good point. We are not allowed to do that. We have a responsibility to protect the dignity of other people. So if the private information that we're going to share is going to be private information that could compromise somebody, make them feel exposed, make them feel shamed, that's a serious problem. Yes, Good point. And then he goes on to say, and it could cause a loss of assets. Because if you take, for example, the story with the, the Facebook story right now, I'm not talking about where there are all these revenge posts that happen. That would be the first category that Philip is talking about, you know, where people say, you did something to hurt me, and therefore what I'm going to do is I'm going to expose you either on uh, 
on social media or I'll send out a WhatsApp broadcast uh, with something embarrassing about you. So that definitely, absolutely, without question, we have a moral imperative to avoid that kind of behavior at all costs, at all costs. So the second element is, well, what if it's not going to be that personal? What if it's just that they're, they're sharing, I don't know, your shopping trends and it's going to be sent off to people who want to market to you, you as a customer? Is that fundamentally immoral? Or if you're, they're going to track your particular stats on, I don't know, your political beliefs and push a particular kind of political advert your way on social media. So is that necessarily in the same category as embarrassing somebody? I don't think so. We definitely would agree that to shame somebody is absolutely not allowed according to Torah. So if that's what's going to happen when you compromise somebody else's privacy, 100% you are not allowed to do it. And then the next element, I suppose, would be the risk to assets. Absolutely, without question, you are not allowed to do anything that is going to cause somebody else a loss of money, income, assets, regardless of whether you've done it directly or indirectly. It's irrelevant. Point is, you're not allowed to cause somebody else to lose assets. So yes, Philip, you've made some very good points over there. Uh, he has uh, AB on Twitter says, certainly, <laughs> I love one word answers. They don't give us much insight, but they certainly help to corroborate a particular view. So my question was, is there a moral, moral imperative to protect somebody's privacy? And AB says, certainly. Okay, thank you. I'd love to know why you think that. And perhaps you could back it up with a little bit more insight or a little bit more detail. I'm quite surprised because I, I was pretty sure that the bait that everybody would take on the story of privacy would straight away have been the question of Lush and horror. I really thought that that's what everybody was cl- going to clamor up with and not a word. So we'll talk about that too. We'll talk about how this fits into a context of Lush and horror. I'd also like to pull on a few examples from within different areas of Jewish law that give us a sense of what Judaism thinks about privacy. Some of them might be quite interesting to you, things that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of. And as I say, I'd love to hear perspectives and insights and your particular views on this particular topic. So keep those ideas coming. 34519. If you're going to send an SMS, it is back up now. You can WhatsApp as well on 061-895-1019. Tweet at FM. Tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. You can even call in on 0101403020 and we can chat to you live on air. Now, Jaguar Bryanston wants to fill the E-Pace's generous loading space with as many blankets as they can to take to people who need it. So please become part of this initiative. Simply bring a new blanket to the Chai FM offices before the 31st of May this year. Jaguar Bryanstone will then match every donation received. Let's warm this winter for someone who really needs it. You can call 011-463-4603 for more information. Sounds like a very nice initiative, by the way. So, yeah. Do that. Bring a bring a blanket over here into the High FM studios. Why not? Just gone two thirty. You are with Rabbi Shishle. It is fresh thinking. It's that time of the week as we gear up towards the weekend. Hopefully, it will be a nice, warm, and cozy weekend because right now it's a little bit chilly, frigid here in the studio. I must tell you. And we're talking today about privacy in the wake of this great Facebook 
data mining scandal. Uh, my question is, is there a moral imperative to protect other people's privacy? And do you have a moral responsibility to protect your own privacy? And I suppose part of the question is, do you feel perhaps that in today's world, the concept of privacy or the value of privacy has been eroded? And what should we be doing about it? Cynthia says, privacy never existed. Repression, yes, this is on WhatsApp. With, a, with it, a great deal of injustice was perpetrated and hidden. We have access to everything today. It's how we choose to use it that counts. We all have to take responsibility today for our consciousness. There's no way around it. We're only just beginning to learn now how to do that. You know, that's such an interesting perspective, and I, I did not think of that. I really did not think of that. So Cynthia is saying that privacy could easily have been cover for people hiding inappropriate behavior, whether it was on a personal level, communal level, national level, international level, right? There was no transparency. I think it's a really good point. Today, because of technology and because everybody has the opportunity to expose things, a lot more dirt comes to the surface and can be dealt with. So you think, for example, such an interesting point. I'm really glad you mentioned this. So you think, for example, about Hollywood. And the recent Hollywood scandals with directors and producers and how they took advantage of actresses who were trying to get into the industry. Now, that's exactly, that's exactly where privacy could have been a very dangerous weapon where a person could threaten or if not threaten, at least manipulate and say, you know, this is a private matter between you and I. Don't take it out there. Don't mention it to anybody else. It's probably quite a common thing that was used by molesters is to try and keep their victims to a code of privacy. And Cynthia says, well, that could be repression. And as a result of that, you could create all kinds of injustice. Very, very interesting point. I suppose the same applies to political leadership, that you stood behind the veneer of the office that you held and nobody could ever know what was really going on. Whereas in today's world, that kind of thing, corruption or misuse of power or um, bullying, I suppose, or misappropriation of funds, all that kind of thing is today in the public eye. So very interesting because everything, I suppose, is a double-edged sword. Could be that there's a great value, could be that there is no value. But then Cynthia agrees with Sean that privacy never existed. And I find that so interesting that people say privacy never existed. So are you, are you telling me that you believe that a hundred years ago, a person's life was exposed out there in the public? How? How did it happen? How was it possible that it would have been exposed? curious i mean today people voluntarily share that information in in that period yes of course there were always braggarts and you're always going to have some degree of somebody who you confide in and i suppose in that way information does get shared but to the point of of lacking privacy i, I don't know how how could that be i'm so surprised that people say that there was there was no privacy really interesting okay we'll keep that conversation open um, <coughs> I did say before that we'll talk just a little bit about Lush and Horror. 
Because I really thought that that would have been the first thing that people would have quoted to say, you see, Judaism believes that you have to protect privacy. I mean, Philip on Twitter said something along those lines that if what you're going to share about people will shame them, then it's not allowed. But the idea of Lashon Hora may not even be associated with shame. It's just exposure. It's exposure of something that really happened. That's what Lashon Hora is. Lashon Hora is not inventing bad stuff about somebody. It's sharing what really happened, what they really did. It's just that possibly... Before you shared it, it was quite private. And now that you've shared it, you've done something which the Torah says you're not allowed to do. So, hmm. oh, there you go. Just on that note, Jonathan. Jonathan says, has privacy ever existed? Again, another one. But he says, isn't Lashon Hara the most basic form of data breach? So that I understand. Jonathan is saying that the reason he believes that privacy never existed is not necessarily because people were exposed in the way that they are exposed today. But the fact is that people are exposed primarily because of the way other people talk. People share things about people that they should not share. So I think from a Torah perspective, the first thing that should come to mind then is we have laws about what you're allowed to say about somebody else. And there are certain things you're not allowed to share about somebody else. That is an element of a moral imperative for privacy. Or is it? Is that really the issue, say, for example, with Lashon Hora? Is, is Lashon Hora there to protect privacy? I, I have a different perspective, to be honest. Lashon Hora is, there's nothing about the wording that implies it's a breach of confidentiality. Lashon Hora, as the name implies, is bad language. It's a bad way of talking. It's exposing the bad in somebody. And I'll tell you what's interesting about this is if you think about your, yourself, what's on, what goes on in your mind, nobody knows. Nobody will ever know. And nobody has to know. But the moment you say it, it's out there in the public space. Now, that's what the problem is with Lashon Hara, you see, is that you might think all kinds of negative things about people, but you don't say it. If you don't say it, it's not out there in the public space, and therefore it can be put to bed. Whereas once you've thrown something out into the public space, you can't put it back and you create some kind of reputation for a, a person. Talk more about that in a moment. We've got somebody on the line. Hi, who am I speaking to? Hello, Rabbi Shishu, talking to Tessa. Tessa, how are you? Fine, thank you. Good. Um, the reason I'm phoning is because your Lashon Hara statement, I think, did not go far enough. Because in Lashon Hara, you could tell untruths, complete untruths about other people. It's gossip. And in the gossip, you can create immense harm. Correct. And... um people who are willing to believe this and who live on gossip because I think the public has always lived on gossip can actually harm a person in many many ways and can harm whole groups due to it I mean there's lots and horror that can be much much uh, more damaging than just saying oh well that was something that exposed a person Mm -hmm. you could expose like the Jews were told, the, the whole world, the Christian world, believed that the Jews poisoned the world. Correct. They also believed that Jews um, put the blood of Christian children in their matzah. That's right. They also, this is all lush and horror, in my opinion. I mean, I think it, it is a way of spreading both truth and untruth. 
Right. So, so Tessa, we actually agree. Um, I yes. think, I think, uh, what's, what's useful for, for everybody to hear is that in Torah language, there are actually three categories of gossip. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the point is that all three are bad. So the first category is just gossip. You know, did you hear, yeah. did you see what somebody wore, this and that, whatever. That's the first level. People think it's innocuous. It's not. It's bad. Then you get Loshan Hora. Loshan Hora is not just, did you see, the, the dress that so-and-so was wearing at Shul today. Loshan Hora is, did you hear what so-and-so did? Factually correct, but not my business to spread. Bad. And then you get the third level, which is essentially what you've referred to, which is called libel. And that's mm-hmm. where you spread untruths about somebody. The terminology in that in Torah for that is called moitzi shame ra, where you create a bad name for somebody where they don't deserve the bad name. Now, all three levels are bad. All three must be avoided. Needless to say, one is worse than the next. But all three yes, need to be avoided. So you've, you've raised a very important point, And I'm glad that you did because that way we can, we can educate. We can share with people that there is this concept that to breach confidentiality is bad. To libel people is worse than that. Yes. And then, of course, one can carry the concept further and say if you love your neighbor – as yourself, you would never have allowed that to have happened to you or wanted to have happened to you. So therefore, you're breaching another Torah indictment, so to speak. Precisely. Precisely. Thank you, Tessa. They carry on one from the other. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was very insightful. Appreciate it. Thank you. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So yes, very interesting insight there from Tessa, and uh, I think it, I think it was important to mention that that you've got to be careful. Not only there, is there an issue with exposing information about people, which is bad, you have to be really, really careful not to expose things that are not true about people. That's absolutely damaging. Yeah, it's a very, very good point. You know what else is interesting? Well, before before we get to that, there was a message up here that I wanted to share with you. And okay, there's people asking technical questions. Here we go. I think gossip, although below the radar, has always been a breach of privacy. So there you go. That's along exactly the same thing. Rene has an interesting perspective that's almost the exact opposite of what I was saying or what we've been talking about because we've been talking about the fact that social media allows people to lose their privacy. Rene says, I find it peculiar that most people, that what most people do all day long is look at their screens. That in a way is privacy. (laughs) People burying their heads in a screen. I don't know if that's privacy. I know that's antisocial. Maybe it's rude, but I don't think that's privacy. On the contrary, they might, you may feel that they're hiding something from you, but at that exact moment, they're sharing something with everybody else. So perhaps you just feel a little bit left out, and that's why you say it's privacy. I don't think that's privacy, personally. It's only an interesting thing, so that's what I was going to say. The Talmud has such an interesting law, and I think it relates to, number one, and it teaches, number two, about this issue of privacy. Such a fascinating concept. In fact, I'm dealing with it practically right now with the, with a neighbor. So what happens if you've got a house, You've lived in that house for a period of time, 
and somebody buys the property next door to you and decides that they would like to now have a double-story house. So it was a single-story house previously. Now they've decided to make a double-story house. And the next thing you know, your neighbor can see right into your garden. It's exactly what's happened to me at home. So you used to be able to do whatever you wanted in your garden. I don't know. Perhaps you wanted to sit out there in your garden and uh, sunbathe or something like that. And now you've got a neighbor who's peering over your wall. And that is, is that an invasion of privacy? Do they have that right? So what's interesting is that if you look in the Talmud, the Talmud doesn't just call it privacy. This is what's interesting. The Talmud calls it Hezek Re'iyah. That means that by somebody seeing something that they should not see, by somebody seeing something which is private, they, that in itself causes damage. The word hezek means damage. This is damage done through sight. And so the Talmud goes so far as to say that what you've got to do as the neighbor who's now built the second story is you actually have to create some kind of a satisfactory screen to protect your neighbor that you don't now invade their privacy. Isn't that an interesting law? So the person might have to pay for the raising of your wall, of the boundary wall, so that they can't see into your property, or they may have to put some kind of screening over their windows, whatever the case is. That's what the Talmud says. Now, what's fascinating about that is, firstly, you're talking about something that was written how long ago? 1,500 years ago? What was the world thinking about privacy at that time? And here you have it, that in Jewish law, there were laws to protect the privacy of the next person. That implies that there is a moral imperative to keep your nose out of somebody else's business. Not just from a Loshan Horror point of view, because Loshan Horror is where you are sharing information. This is not sharing information. This is seeing information. You may not tell anybody what you see. You may be extremely good at biting your tongue. Doesn't matter. The Torah says you're not allowed to look into somebody else's private space. Fascinating, isn't it? And I'll tell you something else. It goes further back than that. That was 1,500 years ago. Let's go back 3,300 years ago, 3,300 years ago. One of the most infamous people in biblical history, a Gentile prophet by the name of Bilam, an evil man. He was endowed with the powers of prophecy, but he completely misused them. And famously, the Torah tells us that Bilam was hired to come and to curse the Jewish nation. He was hired by, by Balak, who was the king of Moab, and they went up onto a mountaintop where they could see the Jewish people, and he was supposed to give this horrific curse that was going to, excuse me, that was going to do more damage then I suppose any weapon of mass destruction. And he goes up onto the mountain and he tries to curse and only blessings come out of his mouth. It happens multiple times. And eventually he makes a statement which was so powerful and insightful that we've included it in our daily liturgy. Every observant Jew reads this line every single morning before they start their prayers. And it goes like this. How good are your tents, Jacob, and your dwelling places, Israel? And uh, the commentaries say, well, what, what, what was he saying? What did he notice that was so unusual that, that got him, that inspired him, that he said this incredible accolade for the Jewish people? And the commentaries say very simply, the way that the Jewish camp was organized 
You're talking 3,300 years ago when people were smashing each other over the head and burning their children in fires to, to sacrifice them to some unpronounceable God. Here was a group of people who situated their tents in such a way that nobody could see into anybody else's property. That tells you that from the beginnings of Judaism, privacy has been a value. Not only has it been a value, but it's been something that even others from outside of our community, when they confronted it, were gobsmacked, were completely blown away because they saw the beauty of a society that respects privacy. So there's no question about it from a Jewish point of view. That is a value that you have to respect privacy and not only respect privacy, but you have a responsibility to protect your own privacy. We know that. We know that there's a law in Judaism that says when you arrive in your own home, forget about somebody else's home. When you arrive at your own home, announce yourself before you walk in. Knock on the door. Don't just burst into the house. Okay, the reason is not to startle people. The reason is also to give a sense of dignity that you don't just barge your way into somebody else's space, even if it's the person who lives in the same bedroom as you. There's a sense of privacy. That's why within Judaism, there's a way that a person is supposed to carry themselves, not only the way that you dress, but there's a way that you're supposed to carry yourself. Where How many times in different forms do we have our Great sages of, of old saying, limit what you say. Don't speak too much. The, the, the guarantee of wisdom is silence. That means to say, don't go sharing everything. Not everything is for public consumption. Certain things are precious, valuable, kept. Just like you would keep your valuables in a safety deposit box, not out there for everybody to see. Just like you would keep your people who you care about away from being exposed to every kind of exposure, that's how you're supposed to behave yourself as well. That's why King Solomon says that the the respect, the dignity of a princess is on the inside. It's not for everybody to know. That's why we talk about It's a verse in the Torah that says Walk modestly with God Not everything that goes on in your life Has to be in the public eye Judaism puts a premium on privacy Join Rabbi Ari Shishler For some fresh thinking Every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM 101.9 megahertz of power I love the fact that we have listeners With a great sense of humor So somebody sent in a WhatsApp And they said uh, it's applicable to all Colors, nationalities and creeds Anyhow, it's a picture It's a fantastic picture So it's three elderly ladies Standing on a balcony uh, behind them is those kind of uh, Venetian, you know, those shutters, those wooden Venetian shutters. They're standing on this wrought iron balcony. It looks very Tuscan. So the 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 comment on the picture says Italian security cameras. 
<laughs> so I don't think it's just Italian. I think we have the same thing in our communities. We call it the Yente Brigade. So the, yes, exactly. About privacy. Talk about privacy. People standing on their balcony looking. You know, it reminds me of that story um, about the, the, the woman in Seapoint who called the cops because there were people indecently exposed and she could see them from her apartment. So they came to the apartment and they looked out over the beach and they couldn't see anything. She says, no, you've got to stand up on a chair and then you'll be able to see them. So, you know, <laughs> there is that, that, that sense, I suppose, of uh, curiosity, which is very, very commonplace in society and in our own communities. I must say we have a very large appetite to hear what's going on in other people's lives. But I do think that if you explore Judaism, and I've just quoted a few minor examples without even getting into legalities of it, you will see that privacy is a very, very big deal. We're even told that when God appears, there's that famous prophetic moment where Hashem says, where God says, you will see a great storm and a great tempest, and God will not be in the tempest, but in the quiet voice called the Mama Daka, that even the way that God interacts is specifically quietly. The Talmud says that there's a verse where God, impl- where God says, I'll be close to those who are meek, basically to say those who keep themselves quiet, those who don't fill the whole space. It reminds me a little bit of a story. There was a chassid who came to his rebbe and he said, Rebbe, whenever I walk into the shul, I get the feeling that everybody stands all over me. They step all over me. And the rebbe says to him, well, perhaps you should consider not trying to spread yourself throughout the entire shul. Then not everybody will have to stand on you. And I think it's a similar kind of thing. Here we are saying privacy. They've exposed our privacy. What's going on over here? We've lost our privacy. Well, you know, maybe we need to be a little bit more circumspect and maybe we need to be a little bit more, um, <coughs> a little bit more cautious about or discerning about what we're willing to share. I'm also reminded there was a very great Ashkenazi scholar, a medieval scholar called Rabbeinu Gershom. And he's famous. You know about Rabbeinu Gershom without even knowing his name because he was the one who outlawed bigamy. But Rabbeinu Gershom also made a cherem, which means it's uh, kind of if you break this law, you deserve to be ostracized from the community. He made a cherem against reading somebody else's mail. Now, that was back in the old days where people actually got letters and a letter typically contained sensitive information because people were not sharing letters every other day. It's not like today we send 4,000 WhatsApps in a day. You don't even know what most of them were about. And he made a rule which has been adopted by the Jewish community till today, and that is that a person who reads somebody else's mail deserves to be excommunicated from the community. So if that does not tell us how seriously we consider the importance of protecting somebody else's privacy, I don't know what does. So we could point fingers and we could philosophize about what is or isn't going to happen in the end with regulation of social media. But I think what we should learn from this is that there is an incredible need. And I feel that in today's world, we've lost the sensitivity to that need. There's an incredible need to protect other people's privacy, to allow people their privacy and to stand up to ensure that we have our own privacy. It's also it's quite important. So there's some food for thought. I hope you enjoyed that. And look forward to picking up next week, please, God. Thank you for all the messages that came through, WhatsApps and online messages. And have a wonderful Shabbos. It is Rosh Chodesh on Sunday and Monday, beginning of a new month. Please, God, may it be a month of blessing for us all.